Welcome to I Run Radio. Coming up, the shoes that can actually make you faster. Every shoe company ever made, every time they build out a shoe, it's sort of bring out a new shoe. It's, this is going to be the best shoe. It's going to radically alter your performance. You're going to leave everyone else in the dust. Um, what changed it about two years ago when Nike brought out the Vaporfly is it actually turned out to be true. Uh, <laughs> their, their, their hype was actually fully backed up by lab studies. How running isn't always an individual sport. Because we had folks operating at all different kinds of paces, they would sort of pair up with a buddy who was running at a similar speed and really get to know one another. So even now, it's one of my greatest joys to, to see these people who were strangers to me and to one another six months ago who are now regular parts of each other's lives. It's, it's an incredible feeling. And leading newcomers to their first 5K. It was the most incredible experience to just watch these young women go from struggling through a one-kilometer run the very first week and then by week 16, you know, really pushing themselves to that finish line and running a distance that they never thought was possible. On this edition of I Run Radio, we're going to get the latest science on running with Alex Hutchinson, the author of Endure including why we hit a wall in the last part of a marathon, and we'll talk shoes as well. We'll chat with a woman who has proven that running isn't always an individual sport. She's leading and inspiring other runners and sharing the journey. And a very passionate runner who helped a group of newcomers to Canada complete their first 5K. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of iRun, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. So you are racing this weekend. Yeah. Doing good. I'm excited good. for you. You're doing the marathon in Erie, Pennsylvania, right? That's right. And it was a good training cycle. It was a strong training cycle. You know, your mind plays a little bit tricks on you uh, during the week leading into the race. Yeah. And I had this silly little, like, I was like, did I peak too soon? Because it was like seven days ago I had eaten nothing but carrot sticks for four weeks, and then I broke and had three cookies. So it's, you know, did, is all that hard work for not? So I need to just, you know, you just need to remember, trust your training and, and stay calm and not uh, shoot yourself in the foot, get yourself nervous, you know, by something that's supposed to be fun. Yeah, but you do notice in that last week all of the little aches and pains that pop up, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's like you're, you're walking up the stairs and you feel something in your leg and you're like, uh-oh, what's that? Yeah. What's going on there? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the runny nose, and you have this, and you have that. It's just like, come on, stop. Would you stop? So, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's just so fun to have something to be excited about. And, uh, you know, I love it. And I'm lucky enough that I get to finish this race and set the world afire and then uh, do it again at the Army Run and then do it again at the Scotiabank in Toronto and then uh, move on from there. So, you know, keeping some perspective that I'll have an yeah. opportunity to do this again. And I love race day, you know? I, I love yeah. getting up in the morning and putting on my gear and putting on the oh, bib yeah. and, and and putting that chip on your shoe if it's not in the bib <laughs> or whatever, you know? like, And then going and, and kind of getting there a little bit early, not too early, though. And oh, then, i got to be very careful with the timing. Yeah. yeah, and then being around the other runners and having that nervous anticipation and then you know, you're, it's like, especially when it's a marathon, because that's, you know, that's a real test. And, you know, you know, it's going to be tough. And then 
half an hour before, you're thinking, really? In half an hour, I'm going to be running this thing? Come on. Like, I've been training for three months, and in half an hour, I'm actually going to be running it? And then, you know, it's down to five minutes, and they're doing the countdown, and you're like, oh, boy, here we go. This is really happening, right? And then the gun goes off, and you start running, and you're thinking, okay, we're underway. All I have to do is get to the finish line. You know, it's, it's great stuff. It's really, it's, it's funny. I mean, we keep going through it. I, the only thing I would add to that, I would, I would say it's the whole weekend because, you know, yeah. on Friday you sort of, you know, I know what you're eating on Friday and then, you you know, you're at the expo and you see everybody else and everybody's talking about it. What's the wind like and what are you eating and what do you think? And you're looking at everybody's shoes and there's all of that, and, you know, and then you hit that point in your race too. And it's like, oh boy, the hurt's going to come and how are you going to deal with it? And what pace are you going to go? And no matter what, I'm still like, you know, you never know what pace you're going to go or what time you're going for. You know, I know a lot of people that don't even like to say it out loud, yeah. like the time they're going for, because it's like, well, if it's windy or, you know, who knows, and I'm not sure, and do I go for a PB or do I want to just run the back half faster than the first and will they be pacers? So it's the, the whole uh, rigmarole that uh, keeps us on our toes. Yeah. And um, do you did you say that you've you've been watching what you've been eating leading up to this marathon? Uh, yeah, I've been doing a I've been doing a really nice job for the past Good. six weeks or something like that. I've done uh, I've done a really nice job, and you know, I've also it makes things a lot simpler. So, you know, if, if my friends are going out to a pub or something like that, I will I I haven't been going, and that's really been fine. You know, I find that I don't miss it, and I sort of it's nice to have sort of cycles. So I really did this time embrace the cycle of sort of my training was the predominant thing. Yeah. You know, so, uh, which was great, which was great. And, uh, you know, I did feel results too. You can do that even six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Not a tremendous amount of time, but you can make a difference in that time. I mean, a few people, you know, noticed something in me and I was sleeping better and eating better and yeah, you know, so we'll see. Hopefully on Monday I don't go, like, you know, from the marathon to McDonald's. Um, but we'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, interesting good, you say that because uh, I think the only times I've ever eaten with you, uh, you've had a burger. Almost every time. Yeah. I subsist on basically a yeah. hamburger. It's true. I do I do enjoy hamburgers. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I've been, you know, I mean, you, make a, you don't even have to be over the top with no. it. but you know i just i'm eating more salads yeah. and like you, there's just today, a little more you know, a little more focus when you're training yeah right? Um, that's yeah. right you know when you eat past the point i mean everybody does this when you're no longer hungry but you just keep eating yeah i i, I mean i do that i think we all do that uh, you know um but you could succumb to that and that's not the end of the world but you know portions have gotten so huge and whatever else but you know i stopped doing that as well so good it's for you. like ah i'm good you know so again i don't have eh, it's just something to do so you sort of feel like mentally sharp well ben i wish you the best of luck and i will be rooting for you and i can't uh, wait to hear all about it thank you once again for joining us this week we'll talk to you next week after your race i appreciate it my friend ben kaplan i runs editor and general manager Coming up next, the latest science on running faster. The Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is flat, fast, and festive. And this year, it's celebrating its 30th birthday. On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K, half marathon, and marathon course. Register now at torontowaterfrontmarathon.com. 
It's always great to welcome Alex Hutchinson back to the show. Alex is a terrific runner and writer and the author of the book Endure. Alex, thanks for being with us again. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's always good to be here with you. And you've, you've done a lot of interesting writing on fascinating topics recently, and one of the ones that you tackled was uh, this concept of hitting the wall. And I know this is technical and scientific, but, but what happens when runners reach a certain point, say in a marathon, where they feel like they've hit a wall? Yeah, so, so to, I mean, to get into this, maybe it's useful to, to start with the conventional explanation, which is which, which we've all heard for the last you know twenty, thirty, forty years, which is the human body can only carry so much carbohydrate, so much energy with it. We're built to run thirty k, and beyond thirty k, it's almost impossible to, to to carry that much fuel. So you you bonk, and because there's no more fuel left in your in your muscles, and you fight that by. Uh, by carbo-loading, by taking in carbohydrates during the race with the hope that you can ingest enough as you go to make up for the fact that the human body can only store 30K worth of energy. Now, the, the, and certainly that's sometimes true. There are people who hit the wall because they have run out of fuel. Uh, the, the problem is that, you know, despite the, you know, the best minds in modern science and, and, and you know, really motivated athletes who are basically shoving a gel into their mouth every nine seconds, people still hit the wall even if they're fully fueled and carbo-loaded. And so there, it's been clear for, for a while now that there's more to it than that, that, that there's something about the marathon and that distance which can cause people to, you know, not just slow down, but to have that feeling of just like smacking into a, a brick wall it, it, that, that goes beyond just did they remember to take in fuel. And so the study that I wrote about, I, I guess it was a few weeks ago now, was was one that grew out, grew out of the attempt. Uh, Nike a couple of years ago did this uh, breaking two project where they got a bunch of marathoners and tried to um, uh, optim- you know, run a, an exhibition race where someone would break two hours, and they, they narrowly missed. But there was a lot of science involved in that, and one of the, the things they wanted to figure out was what happens late in a marathon, and because so much of exercise physiology has been done, you, you bring someone into a lab, you put them on a treadmill, you measure their running economy and their lactate threshold and their VO2 max, and, and then you say, okay, we know all about this runner, we can predict how fast they're going to run a marathon. And then it, it, it doesn't turn out to be true in a lot of cases, and so what they realize is no one ever brings people into the lab and makes them exercise for two hours very hard and then tries to test their running economy and their lactate threshold and their VO2 max and things like that. So they did, they did this brutal-sounding study where they brought people into the lab, this is a, a, a lab in England at the University of Exeter, which was working with the Nike group, and they had people over and over come into the lab and tired themselves out for different amounts of time, so for either zero minutes or 40 minutes or 80 minutes or 120 minutes, in other words, two hours. And then they they did the uh, uh, these tests on their physiology to find out. And what they found out is that there are things that change for reasons that aren't entirely clear, that, that you're, you're – what's – you know, you, you can think about, let's say, lactate threshold. You say there's this threshold where below that it's easy for me to run and above that it's hard for me to run. And so if I stay below that threshold, I should be able to run a marathon. And what they found is that that threshold moves as you get tired. So even if you start out at what appears to be a totally reasonable pace, the definition of reasonable changes as you get tired. And so what may happen for a lot of people is that 
sometime around 30 or 35k they're they're not it's not that they sped up or went too fast it's that they're something about their physiology changed that a pace that was once sustainable is no longer sustainable and so they, without realizing it they're they're running in an unsustainable pace and they hit the wall and just totally run out of juice wow so that's uh i don't know how to fix that then right that that becomes the challenge <laughs> yeah, that's, right that's, that's fine. I, I, you know i gave you the the, the, the you know the 25 minute answer there <laughs> uh, and without without saying and fortunately they figured out that if right. you rub your head three times and pat your belly <laughs> uh that doesn't happen um now you know obviously they were interested in in trying to fix that and so there were there were two physiological uh, parameters that they were they were testing, uh, and they're, they're sort of lesser known. They're more they're a little more complicated. They're called critical speed and anaerobic capacity, and together they tell you how far and how fast you can run for any given distance. Um, and what they found is that both of them get worse as you get tired. If you take in enough carbohydrate during the race, you can fix one of them. You can prevent your critical speed. From which is that threshold, you can prevent yeah. it from moving, or at least mostly prevent it from moving. You can't save your anaerobic capacity, and that, for whatever reason, if you're when you've been exercising for two hours, you've lost, you're 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 steadily losing your ability to really just put out high intensity exercise. But so that you know, I I I know that it sounds sort of silly to say. I, I give this whole preamble about it's not just about running out of fuel, but they what they find is that some of this is about running out of fuel, but in an indirect way. It's not It's not that there's no fuel in your muscles. It's that if your fuel stores are low, your body sort of shifts to a, an energy-inefficient uh, mode, probably to try and save you from running out of, out of juice. So it's another argument for uh, uh, fueling properly before and during a race. And I think part of it, they suspect, is also, uh, you know, again, it goes back to the basics where... If your legs aren't used to the the pounding of you know running for multiple hours and things like that, then that's going to also affect these this critical speed and things like that. So it, it, it also means you know training appropriately beforehand. But I I, I apologize. There's there's no new trick that comes out right. of this that that mm-hmm. prevents you from hitting the wall. Now there are new tricks in the area of shoes, though it seems, because you've been writing about <laughs> the vapor fly, and there are other shoes out there too that profess to make you go faster. And this, there's there's the technical side of this. In other words, what do they actually do that makes you go faster? And then there's the whole debate over where the threshold is in terms of what's fair and what's kind of cheating, right? Yeah, and you know what's interesting to me is that uh, the the idea of the claim that a shoe is going to make you much much faster, uh, you know. This is as old as shoes themselves, right? Like yeah. every shoe company ever made, every time they build out a shoe, it's, or bring out a new shoe, it's, this is going to be the best shoe. It's going to radically alter your performance. You're going to leave everyone else in the dust. Um, what changed it about two years ago when Nike brought out the Vaporfly is it actually turned out to be true. Uh, <laughs> their, their, their hype was actually fully backed up by lab studies, and, it, and immediately... I can't remember the the, the, the the actual statistic. I think it was out of the 36 podium positions in uh, world marathon majors, so the big the big you know Boston, Chicago, New York marathons. Uh, they took something like 28 of 36 the next year. Runners wearing this new Vaporfly shoe, which has a curved carbon fiber plate. Uh, and so, you know, initially the debate was: Is it really true? Is it overhyped? Now the debate is. Okay, it's true. What do we do about it? Is this uh, do we want $300 shoes to be a necessary feature of competing at the highest level? And 
the new thing that's happened is is uh, out in uh, Alberta last month there was a a small biomechanics conference where Nike presented some of its internal data on the vapor fly. And they, they, did, they had two studies. One of them was basically exploring how the curved carbon fiber plate works. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's interesting stuff if you're interested in curved carbon fiber plates. But the, the point, you know, for our purposes, the, the interesting point is that it works and, the, and they sort of have a good idea. It's not a spring. It's not, it's like people have sort of criticized these shoes as spring-loaded. Uh, it's more of a, a lever. It allows you to keep your foot stiffer and not bend your toes and lose energy like that. But the, the second study was almost more interesting to me because it was looking into the claim, which wasn't one of their initial claims, but the claim that this thick cushion shoe with the carbon fiber plate actually protects your legs from muscle damage. And so people at the end of marathons are reporting their legs don't feel as trashed, and the next day they don't feel as trashed, and they're able to resume running more quickly. Uh, now, this you know could obviously be a placebo effect, but... Uh, they, they tried to run a study with 14 runners preparing for, uh, I think it was the Portland Marathon, and they had half of them use the Vaporfly and half of them use a regular, I think it was the Pegasus. And, they, and then they also had some of them swap back and forth week by week to try and look at the effects. And what they found is the runners running in the Vaporfly, had, they, they, they took blood tests before and after the marathon and found that those running in the Vaporfly had lower markers of muscle damage. And they also found that when they were doing training weeks with the Vaporfly compared to the, the other shoe, they were able to accumulate a higher training load so that, you know, they were assigned a given level of workouts. They were able to run those workouts a little faster. And, and the, more, the longer the week went on, the more they trained, the, more, the, the, more, the bigger the advantage got, suggesting that they were able to tolerate a higher level of training wow. and recover between workouts. This is a small study done by Nike itself. Mm. So let's let, let's let's uh, yep. you know keep the, the the grain of salt in our mouths. But to me, what the reason this is sort of interesting and important is like, if you ask me, hey, I've got a shoe, a, you know, a very expensive shoe with a carbon fiber plate. It makes runners a couple percent faster. What should we do about it? I'd say, well, you know, running's a simple sport. Let's ban it. You know, let's just let's nip it in the bud. Let's say you can't have stiffening plates in in the shoe. Let's keep it simple. Uh, that this is. We're not triathletes here, right? We're runners. Um, but when you start adding these other wrinkles, then it's like, oh, it's not just about getting 2% faster. Maybe it's allowing people to run farther and run faster and, and do more training and be less stiff and less sore. And, you know, I, I've, I've definitely received a bunch of emails from people saying, hey, you know, I'm in my 50s or whatever, and this training has been better for me than it has been in 20 years uh, because it's just my legs don't get beat up as much as, as they used to. So then, yeah. then it's harder for me to say we should ban this because the argument that, oh, technology trickles down to the masses, well, maybe this is a case where it does. So so that's that's the kind of state of the debate right now. Yeah, and it's fascinating because, of course, uh, you can say, okay, well, people shouldn't have technology helping them run faster, but if you're wearing a shoe in the first place, then what what shoe technology is okay and what shoe technology is not okay, right? That it gets complicated it, drawing a line somewhere. It, exactly, it's not people who think that it, or people who sort of argue that there's sort of some, uh, you know. Uh, magical line from on high that's like this is okay and this is not okay I don't think they've thought it through very carefully yeah. it's, it's going to be something we agree on you know societally and as a sport in the same way that things like doping rules it's like there's no magical reason that caffeine is allowed whereas you know cold medications are not allowed it's, it's just you have to come up with 
a set of rules and then everyone agreed to abide by them. But but uh, so this this shoe creates an interesting one because of course other shoes have had carbon fiber plates. There's no there's nothing that's inherently evil about what's in the shoe. It's just that it's very very effective. Uh, which means that it's hard to compete if you're not wearing that shoe yeah. uh, with someone who's your equal, and it's very expensive. And it sort of it, we start down a slippery slope towards having a, a technological arms race rather than a, a literal foot race. <laughs> exactly. All right, good stuff, Alex. Great to hear your thoughts on both these topics. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mark. Always fun. Alex Hutchinson, author of the book Endure. Coming up next, what is the Super Happy Run Friday? The Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is flat, fast, and festive. And this year, it's celebrating its 30th birthday. On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K, half marathon, and marathon course. Register now at torontowaterfrontmarathon.com. Our next guest is the energetic and enthusiastic leader of the All Paces, All Faces running group in Toronto. Tara Arnone, welcome to iRun Radio. Truly my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about how you got into running, and then we can talk about the All Paces, All Faces running club that you pulled together. You bet. Yeah, so I think I think I, I came into running in the way a lot of folks do, which is uh, somewhat accidentally. And a little later in life than many of the folks I've met along the way, um, I'm trying to think back to when it would have really began, let's say sometime after I finished my undergraduate degree, uh, I'd come home for the summer, uh, in the, back to the suburbs actually, oh, sorry, where my where my parents live is that is that noise going to bug you, Mark? Sorry, that I don't noise uh, just came through my phone. I didn't hear anything, so I think we're okay. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Sorry. That's okay. I can start again if no, that. No, no, no! I can fix that. I can fix that. Just carry oh. on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So so I came in. I came into running uh, sort of in my early twenties. Uh, I'd come back from university. Um, looking, you know, for my my first real job, and I was living again with my parents who were in the suburbs, just west of Toronto and Oakville. And uh, really, I was I was looking for, for something to, to fill my time and, and maybe to get my mind off a lot of the anxieties that come with um, leaving the security of being in university. And uh, as I like to say to folks who are new to running, I hated it right up until the point that I loved it, <laughs> and that is to say, uh, that is to say that I, uh, I sort of, you know, slogged through it, and I, I had uh, the running dialogue. I think many, many endure in the early days, which is like, why, why am I doing this? I really, gosh, I really don't like this. This doesn't feel good at all. What are those people talking about? And uh, and then, like magic, and like anything, one day. It just gets a bit better, and then every day after that, it gets a whole lot better. And uh, that would be almost eight years ago now, and uh, I, I can't really look back. It's uh, it's even impossible to say it's been eight years because like, I don't really know a life of mine without running in it in any way. And what made you start to love it after you hated it? <laughs> There was really, I think, that, that first moment of um, of clarity, I guess. And, and this all sounds a little hippy-dippy, but I really think there's a time when you are midway through a run. Maybe you're, you're closing in on your last few meters, 
and uh, and suddenly the world rings a little clearer to you. The, the colors are in sharper focus. Maybe the birds are chirping. Maybe you see a neighbor mowing their lawn. Something something like that clicks, and you think, wow, that it wasn't just that confluence of things that made me feel good. It was what got me here as well, and what got you here were those two feet of yours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of the joy the joy of running. And then really, the sort of the, the sad trick of it is that that feeling, uh, once you get a wee bit better over time, gets farther and farther away. So you need to keep running those distances to get that second wind, and then you find your third wind, and then you realize that you just you just keep chasing that feeling, and, uh, and it'll always reward you in the end. Yeah, that's very well described. Now, from there, obviously this is you running on your own. What made you decide to start... Mm-hmm a running group and get some people together every week to uh, to run together. It's so funny you, you ask that because I think that five years ago, if you'd asked me what my favorite thing about running was, I would have said, oh, the isolation. The solitude. <laughs> and yes, yeah. the solitude, the time, the time with myself. But, you know, I found that uh, there can be too much of a good thing in that regard. And so when I moved to the city, it was the simple fact of, gosh, like, I knew my previous neighborhood like the back of my hand. I knew exactly how many, you know, laps of a certain subdivision it took to get to a, a certain kilometer, it, uh, or which streets I could run on to get a guaranteed good view of the sunrise. But when I moved to the city, I didn't entirely know those things. And so it really began with... Um, Moving here, I went to my first uh, group public workout with November Project, a fun free fitness organization um, organized in Toronto, well, in cities all over the world, uh, that takes place also in the mornings. And from there, I met uh, a friend, many of them, actually, who I'm looking forward to seeing tonight as it happens. And uh, I saw him the next week at the uh, spring runoff in High Park. Uh, and, and, you know, after the race, I said, I said, it would be really nice if we got together for a run sometime. And, and I sort of left it at that. And, uh, that was a Saturday. The very next morning I woke up and thought, well, Sunday's my long run day. And I texted this friend of 24 hours and said, uh, hi there. I know this is maybe a little odd and that we raced yesterday, but I'm used to running on Sunday mornings. What are, what are you doing right now? And uh, just like that, 10 minutes later, we were laced up and ready to go. And right uh, on. So we started running together, yes. And uh, and from there, it really, uh, I just became sort of that stable morning runner and would invite folks here and there. If someone said that they ran, I said, well, that's funny. So do I. And here's the time that I do. And if you show up, you show up. And if you don't, then maybe we'll catch a coffee later. But uh, miracles, miracles, people start to show up. <laughs> okay. And so that's how Super Happy Fun Run Friday began. Is that right? Super Happy Fun Run Fridays. Yes. Uh, so so those began as me just posting on Facebook. Um, usually on Wednesdays, I would I would send out a, a little reminder to folks and say, hey, uh, uh, Blue and Spadina, this is the central location. It also happens to be rather close to where I live. Um, uh, let's... Uh, if you're up for a for a jaunt on Friday morning, six thirty a.m., meet at the corner of Blur and Spina, and we'll take it from there. And uh, and you know, those first few weeks, there were two, maybe three people, and then over time, four, five, and it began to grow. And I thought, why? Well, I'd better keep up with this this little thing that I've started. And so I began to be more um, strategic about um, mapping routes. Uh, specifically to get to certain kilometer markers. If, you know, over the course, loosely the course of a training season leading up into the spring, 
I would ramp up our mileage, and each week I would post our routes in advance for runners uh, to, to pick up in the days in the days before. It gives them a little heads up of where we were going. And as part of the route planning, I would offer to runners who were living in different areas of the city an opportunity to pick them up. And I'd say, just drop us a line. We can uh, rendezvous at, at this intersection at this time, and we'll pick you up along the way and drop you off. And, and I think that was a big part of the style of the group, which is that there was no obligation to stay the full course of the route. Of course, I did, and so did a few of the core folks. But often I would plan, you know, routes of 10 to 15 kilometers, and maybe we'd have someone join us for three. Maybe they were ready for seven, and that would grow over time. But some days we would drop them off at work or at their child's daycare. And uh, and I think the folks really appreciate that flexibility in the morning. And so you tried to make it very, very accessible so that anybody could join in, basically, right? Accessible and friendly as hell. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. I am, uh, so what was the atmosphere yeah. like on some of these runs? You, you, it sounds like there was a lot of energy. Oh, there was. And, well, I mean, I'll say that, that I have my most energy first thing when I wake up in the morning. And so uh, I'll be the happiest person on earth to see you at 6.30 a.m. But not everybody shows that feeling that way. And so the energy sort of climbs, I think, with time, and we feed off one another over the course of a run. And that can be as simple as me shedding out, you know, a, a funny reference to a sign we've just passed or, or scooting back to talk to the group. Um, it was very congenial. The conversation often flowed, and because we had folks operating at all different kinds of paces, they would sort of pair up with a buddy who was running at a similar speed and really get to know one another. It's, uh, even now, it's one of my greatest joys to to see these people who were strangers to me and to one another six months ago who are now regular parts of each other's lives. It's, it's an incredible feeling. Yeah, and that's all because of you. So how big has the group... Well, that's all because of running. <laughs> yeah, you and running. So how big has the group gotten? Gosh, uh, on any given week, uh, maybe a little a little slimmer in the winters, let's say uh, we'll see 10 to 15 people out. That's great. And that's, I mean, that's a big group to go on a run together. That's fantastic. Now, the sad part of this story, though, is you haven't been able to run since the spring. You have an injury. What's going on? Oh, it's, uh, it's been a tough few months, Mark, I'll tell you. Um, it's, uh, it was sort of a, a long-term niggling groin injury that really um, came to a tipping point in this uh past training cycle sort of in the spring and um, I've been working with uh, physiotherapists and doctors to, to get back back in the game but it uh, looks like I'm playing a little bit of a long game on this one and uh, that's that's been um, hard to say the least but I'm neither the first nor the last runner to suffer a setback so I'll, uh, I'll get back on and in the meantime I've uh, found I've sort of reestablished my joy in cross training yeah well, uh, yeah. I hope you are running again soon because uh, I imagine you miss it. I can tell how much you love it just from hearing you talk about it. And I'm sure the group misses running with you as well. Uh, and, and I want to thank you for what you do because you, you're an ambassador for the sport. You're a convener. You're somebody who's bringing people to running and making it a lot more fun for them. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for being with us on I Run Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I really mean it when I say it's the running that brings folks together, and sometimes it's as much as offering them a smile along the way. And 
if I can do that or if I have, then it'll be um, it'll be something I'll never forget. So thank you, thank you Very for saying cool. that, Tara. Thank you for being on the show. Cheers, Mark. Happy running. That's Tara Arnone of Toronto. Coming up next, more on the joy of running together. The Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is flat, fast, and festive. And this year, it's celebrating its 30th birthday. On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K, half marathon, and marathon course. Register now at torontowaterfrontmarathon.com. Anya Tarabolsi is a member of the Parkdale Roadrunners in Toronto. She and other members of the group don't just run together, they help and inspire others. Anya, welcome to Iron Radio. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about the role that running plays in your life, because it sounds like uh, you're involved in so many different things, and, and Ben was talking about everything you're up to. So uh, how did running take such a big space in your life? You know, running really came out of nowhere for me when I turned 30. Uh, I had never really run before. I always kind of hated it. And then all of a sudden, I found this passion for it by doing it with a crew and finding a community that made me excited to run. And uh, from there on, I just went all in and it became a huge part of my life and not just the running but the community uh the social aspect of it and everything that i got from it and hope to give back somehow yeah well it sounds like you're doing that and and that is something that people who don't run sometimes don't understand is how much it is a social sport that when you talk about running people picture someone just running on a road by themselves and and often that is what we do but there is a community and uh even if you're not running with other people you can be in touch with them and you can be sharing your stories and hearing their stories and encouraging each other so it it really is um there really is a community of runners isn't there Absolutely yes and I'm so lucky that in Toronto we have so many different uh running crews running groups of all kinds for all demographics and it's so much fun even on on any city race day you really feel that community come out you know so many people you see all these people that you haven't seen in a while and there's so many people wishing you luck cheering you on throughout the race so yes we do our solo runs but it's really all about the the nice slow runs that you do with your friends where you get to catch up and yeah. Those other moments. Yeah, it yeah. sounds great. And, and you're a member of Parkdale Roadrunners, right? Yes. Tell us yeah. about that group. Uh, so Parkdale is a group based in, obviously, Parkdale, Toronto, West End. Um, and Tuesday nights, every Tuesday, rain or shine, we run. It's open to everybody, all ages. Um and there's always a short distance and a long distance, and our motto is no one left behind. So there's always someone at the back of the pack to make sure that you've got company with you till the bitter end. That's so um, great. And we also have a ladies' run on Saturday, which is great. A great opportunity for all the women in our group to come together and just, you know, really support each other, push each other when we're training, and just give ourselves a safe space, too. Just connect and 
run. And I love that because it's, you know, it's um, it's so inclusive, right? So you want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to be part of the group and nobody feels, it doesn't come down to, oh, I'm not fast enough to be with this group, that kind of thing, right? Not at all. It never is. And we all have our days, you know, like even the fastest want to run slow sometimes and chill and it's all speeds. It's really open to everybody and you go for what you need. So if it's your speed run, it's your speed run. But if you were just come in to chat with your friends at the back of the pack at a nice chill pace, that's always cool too. Right on. So uh, I understand you're also into yoga. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, ben told me that you do acro yoga. What is acro yoga? So acro yoga is a little bit more partner acrobatics than it is yoga. Um, it's always done with a partner or group, and I'm sure many people have seen it. It's an Instagram phenomenon of people balancing on each other's feet, doing all kinds of flows and twirls and flips. Um, very similar to what you probably did as a kid, and you called it airplane when you flew on your parents' feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cool. So, so we just level that up and uh, take it to the next level. So it, so it's acrobatic yoga of a sort, and it but I but obviously it still has a a stretching and and uh, and it, it has other benefits like that. Absolutely, um, it's very similar to yoga in the sense that many of the same asanas or positions are similar, yet you are doing them while balancing on someone else is the only difference. And one of the big difference for me <laughs> is that instead of doing yoga alone on your mat, it's a practice that you do with someone else or with a group. And just like running, I've never been into um, much of solo sports, so I never really connected with yoga and found my yoga until I found acro. The same way I didn't really take to running until I found the community uh, I, what I really appreciate about it is the connection, working with someone else, working with a group, helping each other get better at something. So that's what Acro really is all about. Very cool. And how does it help your running? Uh, have you found that it's made a difference? It has, actually. Um, one of the, obviously, biggest uh, problems for a lot of runners is tight hips. Right, from all that running and repetitive motion. And acro is a really great hip opener for a lot of things, especially when you're basing. So when you're the person uh, at the bottom of the structure supporting the flyer, um, it's a great hip opener. There's a lot of, you, you can really work on your mobility, both as the flyer and the base, just a lot of stretching and mobility work. So it's kind of complementary to running for sure and does it does it feel weird the first time you have somebody basically picking you up and swinging you around oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> it took a lot to convince me the first time but as soon as i went up i i was uh i was sold i loved right it on. um but yes it's a huge part of it is trust and that's usually the number one thing that stops people is trust whether it's themselves or the other person right yeah you really have to let go and believe in yourself and trust that someone's gonna hold you up or you know stay on top of you if you're basing <laughs> so, yeah 
that's such a huge part of it. And it's really interesting to watch people go through that and see people let go and see people get over their inhibitions and give something like this a try. Yeah, very cool. Now, I understand as well that you were part of uh, of leading a group of runners to doing their first 5K. So tell me about that experience. Yeah, so three years ago, uh, myself and some of the ladies from the Parkdale Roadrunners um, started a run crew with the West Neighborhood House based in Parkdale for the Newcomer Youth Program. So open for anyone from 14 to 24 who is new to Canada, and we had a group of about 16 young women um, who trained to run their very first 5K, and it was at the Scotiabank um, Waterfront Marathon 5K. And it was the most incredible experience to just watch these young women go from struggling through a one-kilometer run the very first week, and then by week 16, you know, really pushing themselves to that finish line and running a distance that they never thought was possible or running the whole thing without stopping, which is, you know, a great goal in itself. Yeah. It it must Mm. be so great to see other people go through that experience and see them get from not being able to run at all to completing a 5K. And uh, I've gotten to see some people who are doing their first 5K or their first 10K or whatever, and it's just the the joy on their faces and, and knowing that they've learned that lesson, that if you if you, you work towards something, and I'm sure lots of these people have had other lessons in their life that point to this, but I still think running is one of the best metaphors for this, that if you, you know, if you, if you do the training, you can, you can get the outcome you want. You just have to go at it kind of one run at a time. Absolutely, Mark, yeah. And honestly, it was my most satisfying 5K ever. I've <laughs> never had so much fun just watching them push themselves and obviously there were tears at the end and it's just so inspiring to watch and they've continued to do this so a lot of the main group of young women have stayed on and have continued to run this will be the third year doing the 5k for most of them but here there's new runners so now you get to watch these let's call them veterans at this point um you know inspiring other youth and helping them, motivating them through their training rounds to run their first 5K. That's awesome. Very cool. Good for you for doing that, Anya. That's really special. And uh, I'm sure the the runners love having some experienced coaches and supporters along the way. Uh, so yeah. That's terrific. And now it's turned into a whole other thing because now it's open to all. Once again, it's uh, both young women and young men in the newcomer youth programming so we've got Parkdale Roadrunners, both men and women from Parkdale, helping out. And we actually just coached them for their first 10K at the Lululemon 10K in the spring. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Anya, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad uh, that you're doing that and that, that running has become such a big part of your life and, and that you're sharing it with others in this way. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. That's Anya Tarabolsi of the Parkdale Roadrunners in Toronto. Coming up in the weeks ahead on iRun Radio, we'll get into the debate about earbuds or no earbuds when you're running. And we'll talk to some of the participants in the upcoming Canada Army Run in Ottawa. 
I hope you can join us next week on iRun Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.